Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm sorry, but the world is a funny, funny place today. It is. I'm sorry. I have a tendency to laugh at it. Welcome. We're ending one of the great weeks, not only in my life, but on our show. And we're going to do it in style, baby, with our friend Hammer Time. Jason Hammer is going to join us. Hey, we got a treat for you. I remember watching this dude pitch constantly. I think he's good friends with a friend of mine, Tim Belcher. Jeff Nelson, who is an all-star, uh, pitched for the Yankees, pitched in the World Series, won a World Series. I'm a big fan of him going back, and Jeff's going to join us as well. Um, a lot going on yesterday. I don't know about you, but um, we had some power outages here in Indiana. So, damn it, I miss the ESPYs. Dickie Vitale, I love Dickie Vitale, gave a great speech apparently, impassioned, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that I would have watched, but I missed the SB, so I really can't talk about it. We did, we had a power outage here that, I don't know, I had no TV, so you know what I did? This is going to shock a lot of you folks. I went and read the Bible. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, I do it every night. I pray for those that persecute me. Right there, my Bible app, Verse. I highly recommend it. But then I fell asleep, and then I woke up, and I had the TV on. It was awesome, baby, but congratulations. I don't know what award Dick Vitale won. I know he's beating the hell out of cancer, and he's doing it with great courage. Uh, so congratulations to Dickie V. But other than that, people are asking me, did you see the ESPYs? Did you? I didn't. I, I didn't. I've never been to the ESPYs. Um, I, I didn't see it. So let's get that out of the way, because a lot of you hit me this morning with, and I don't see where anything dramatic happened. If it did, please feel free to tell me. I just don't see where anything, you know, great happened, um, other than Dickie V, right? I mean, that's that's it. All right. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I don't know what to tell you all. I, I know that there is a bunch of people out here that, for whatever the reason, defend our president. And that's good for you, man. And Bobby Barack wrote a great article. We had Bobby on yesterday. Fantastic article about, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, about how are we going to explain all this weirdness. Here is the latest from our president. Now, I don't know if he has cancer. I don't know if he has dementia. I do know he's been a liar his entire life, a public life. But here is our guy yesterday, our president, 81 million votes, ladies and gentlemen, saying that he has cancer. Here we go. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. Did I miss it? Can we play it again? Can we play it again? That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. What happened? What happened? That was the edit play. It's a short. But did he say he had cancer? But did he say he had cancer in that? I couldn't hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's our guy. 
That's our leader. That's our leader. Yeah. Just a nice elderly man, they call it. All right. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Just a nice elderly man. Somehow in the middle of it, he's got... Uh, <laughs> the Babylon Bee said, uh, please excuse Joe Biden for saying he has cancer as he said it due to his dementia. Hey, look, don't even mess with me about, well, you're mean to people with dementia, then they shouldn't be freaking president of the United States. I just had four days here, three days, with a lady, Sharon, who's a, do- who's a mother of my wife's best friend. She has dementia. Dementia's hard. It's real. And I gotta t- I'm not going to lie to you. When I see Joe Biden and I saw Sharon, they're very similar. But Sharon... We had a great time with because we're playing cards and, you know, all that stuff. Joe Biden's leader of the free freaking world, and you folks act like you actually voted for him. Nobody voted for that guy. Nobody that had a brain voted for that guy. Somehow he got 81 votes. All right. I can't play the music to this, but I would like you to read or just pay attention to this montage of Biden lies. Biden, in his own mind, is a great civil rights leader, and every one of his lies has been exposed. All right, let's go ahead and let's play the next montage on the great, actually, sorry, President of the United States. It means that I've worked in the East Side. He's talking here about how he marched in Selma and he was the only white guy. White dudes love doing that. White dudes love telling black folks that they are, oh, look at me. Look at who I am. I was involved. I was not down. Where are you? Wait, what? More than once, they had to remind, gently remind him that he had actually not marched. He assured them he understood, but he kept telling the story anyway. That's your president. God, well, you know, I was the only white guy. That's, white dudes love saying that. Well, you know, uh, Corn Pop and I, we hung out in the living room. I mean, honest to God, and Maz is one of the great, great, great followers on Twitter. Here he's talking about being a white guy and his toughness in the hood. I mean, my man here is so full of crap. Look, it's all right, white people. Just say, hey, look, I'm a white guy. I grew up in a white neighborhood. You don't have to act any way other than what you are. Now, I wish we could play this, and the reason we can't, here he's talking uh, about all the good he's done marching in civil rights. And Chris Wallace is just drilling him on all his lies. It's on mute because the music underneath can get you tossed off for the day, and we don't want to get tossed off. So here, with hair plugs fully in place, our man is telling another lie about being a white guy and helping in a black community. And it's all lies. Like, what is wrong with you folks? You just let this guy for 45 years, 45 years say the most racist, ridiculous story. Now he goes to the war. And now he talks about a war story as he can't... Got the time period, the location, the heroic act, the type of metal, the military branch, and the rake of recipient wrong, as well as his own role. And this is our guy. I got to tell you, doing a sports show at this time of year is tough. It's tough. Like, there is literally nothing in Indianapolis interesting except for me. 
All right? So that's all anybody focuses on. But in Indy, we got no baseball. We got minor league baseball, but you know. Um, we, <laughs> we don't have – I mean, football is getting started. We're not a major market. So the only thing anybody can write or say anything about is me. I get that. But damn, in the political arena, it's awesome. No, it's fantastic. Joe Biden, every day, every day, he got to give us something good. And he does not fail. All right. Let's go to sports. (laughs) Honest to God, I swear to you. I swear to you, I know a little bit about basketball. Not much. Not much. But giving James Harden two years... $68 million is stone-ass idiotic. He's fat. He parties too much. The way he plays isn't conducive to winning anything. And that's it. And you're rewarding a guy with 30, I don't know, what does that come out to? $34 million. He's fat. He's never been in great shape. He's never done what Michael or Bird or Magic or LeBron, or Steph, name a great player, Greek freak, have ever done. He's never, never improved his body. He's interested in being an image. He's interested in being a guy that hangs out at the club. He's interested at being cool. He ain't interested in winning. He's never been interested in winning. He has no idea how to win, never has, never will. And you say, hey, let me give you 34 freaking million a year. Why? So you can sell some T-shirts, some fake beards? You know, there is, I swear to you, going to come a time in the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NFL where teams take their teams back. Where they say, hey, look, we're going to take this back. We're going to be about winning. There are some teams that are. One of them is Golden State. Whether you like the coaches' politics or not, I don't care. Those dudes are about winning. One of them is the New England Patriots. One of them is the Los Angeles Rams. One of them is not the Indianapolis Colts, where the general manager and everybody worries about PR. One of them is not anybody that decides to sign this clown to a two-year $68 million deal. I get it. Look, I get it. All right, I get it. The idea of James Harden being a, quote, superstar is a fantasy. It ain't real. Yeah, he's got good numbers, but he ain't never going to win. I know I'm wrong. I know I'm completely wrong about this. I get told I'm wrong about it. Things get written about me telling I'm wrong. Everything I'm telling you is wrong. But you should be about winning. You shouldn't be about, well, you know. And I'm going to get to that in a minute with the uh, athletic. Well, you know, uh, I don't know. We like our team to be nice. We like our team to be diverse. I don't give a rat's ass about any of it. You know what you do? You win. And that dude ain't winning. 34, more than $34 million for that guy. The level of stupid, I've said this forever, the level of stupid in evaluating in the NBA, the level of stupid of paying in the NBA at the general manager is absolutely off the charts. The level of stupid in the NBA. 
I remember meeting, and I'm not going to say the guy's name because he doesn't deserve me to say his name, one of the most, quote, influential people ever in the NBA. Oh, he's built this. He's built that. He's head of this thing. And I'm like, that's it? That's the guy? That's this legendary NBA figure? All right. Okay. All right. I mean, I know most... Most general managers in the NBA are like little former managers of ours in Indiana. Child, please. 38, uh, 34 million to that guy is insane. Uh, This is beautiful. Again, it's not about winning. It's about how do we look? We got to be diverse. We're not diverse. They've only been eighth in the world, sixth in the world, fifth in the world, and fourth in the world in the last three years, the English women's soccer team. But they don't look like what we want. Now, you got to understand the athletic. The athletic is full of idiots. The idiots here in Indianapolis include Zach Kiefer, who did a nice podcast, by the way, uh, a guy named Holder, I can't remember his first name, who just left, Kravitz, who's just an old guy nobody pays attention to. But in our world here at Indy, the athletic is inconsequential. They got three guys covering Indianapolis sports, and I guess two now because Holder went to ESPN, and they're horrible. I mean, the guy put together a pretty good podcast, but it didn't tell you anything. But anyway, they're horrible. So when I saw The Athletic saying this right here, there is no question that this is what The Athletic is all about. And you got to understand, The Athletic just got bailed out with $550 million by The New York Times. And my guess would be, I don't know, within a year or so, The Athletic will be gone, two years most. I mean, think about this. So here's a soccer team, eighth, sixth, fifth, fourth. You know, back in 2017, I'm sure this still stands, it had been 14 years since a white man had started at cornerback in the NFL. There were 160 cornerbacks in the NFL, all black. That's not good! (laughs) Of course it's good. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares what? Go win. Well, you know, 69% of players in the NFL are black and only 21% are quarterback. Hey, great. Everybody's got the opportunity, man. I'm playing who's best. You know, but this isn't anything new. This goes back to the 60s, uh, excuse me, 50s. When my father played at Idaho State in the 50s, the coach who's deceased and a guy I liked, uh, so I won't mention his name, told my dad, yeah, you're going to have to be the sixth man. He's like, why? Well, I can't start five guys from out of state. We all know about Texas Westland. Well, you know, uh, five black guys started for the great, uh, uh, whatever, Haskins. I can't remember his first name. I'm losing my mind here. Don Haskins. Jeez, I knew Coach Haskins. Went to dinner a number of times with Coach Haskins. So this isn't anything new. Right? This isn't anything, you know, this kind of thing has been inside sports. But I got to tell you, when a dumbass newspaper, written by dumbass people, written by dumbass people, comes out and says, well, they're great, but you know what? They're not diverse enough. Kiss my ass. This is sports. Everybody in sports understands now, now, not then, now. You're good enough, you're going to play. You're good enough, you're going to play. I mean, it's just what it is. If you're good enough, you're going to play. <clears throat> but, hey, look, the world we live in, I'm talking about it, aren't I? 
I'm having a conversation about the athletic. I want you to think about that just for a second. We're having a conversation on our show about the UK athletic. Job well done, UK athletic. Bravo to you, UK athletic, because you're so stupid that you got us to talk about you all across these great United States. That's how idiotic you are. Yes. Not how successful you've been. No. Mm-mm. The headline of the article that I read is called NFL Diversity Ends at Cornerback. Sports Illustrated wrote it. And it talks about how Richard Sherman actually acknowledged a white cornerback. <laughs> Richard Sherman. Is he in jail? He get out of jail. <laughs> I see you. They don't see you. But I see you, Richard. Hey, shut up. When Richard Sherman's involved, is he, is he still, is he good? Did he beat the charge? Did he say, all right? Okay, good. Um, it's so funny. The NFL is a melting pot. Liberian kickers, Australian punters, German receivers, Cameroon tackles, but the diversity ends at one position. It's been 14 years since a white player has regularly started at cornerback. Now, this is in 19, or 2017. Michael McKnight wrote it. <laughs> I don't care. See, as a coach, I got to tell you, I would have never been that coach at Idaho State. I can give a rat's ass whether, you, whether you're black, white, smart, dumb, well, smart and dumb matter. That, that does matter because uh, what, what is the deal? Dumb loses more than smart wins. So you got to be smart or dumb. From Cameroon, from Liberia, from Austria, I don't care. You're trying to win, and you're trying to win so you can have a nice beer and a freaking sandwich after the game and not puke it all up. Because that's what happens when you lose. But this is the world we live in. These are the idiots we deal with in the sports media. The sports media is so woke, so stupid, and I think Clay says it best all the time. If you think the front page media is woke, you got nothing on the sports media. I mean, the sports media are the dumbest, wokest, most jackass people that there is, and this proves it. Hey, they're really good. I mean, it's England, but even the English women, 8th and 21, 6th and 25th, Fourth, it just breaks my heart, the article said, to see these women. It matters. Shut up. Shut up. That's what I say about the the people in this article. Shut the living hell up. I mean, son of a biscuit maker. It just pains me to see that that women aren't, 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 I don't know. Yeah. All right. Okay. Tough. You know what? There's a lot of things in this world that'll pain you. There's a lot of things going on in this world that should pain you. That is. And if you're so freaking privileged that the only thing that you have to bitch about is whether the women's soccer team is black enough or white enough or whatever the hell you want them to be enough, then you got a pretty damn good life. Now think about it. No, seriously. I mean, it, it is um, lack of diversity in England women's soccer squad will stop many uh, girls from dreaming. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Then don't dream. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. It's right there for you. They got a soccer team. Get good enough. But everybody got to be a vet. Oh, everybody got to be a vet. He mean. He not diverse. He bullying. Oh, stop it. Stop it. So what you do is this. 
What you do is you go ahead and you find two or three people that'll bitch to confirm your article. You find two or three people that'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, look, in sports, you win. That's it. That's the way I look at it. And at some point, at some point, people will, they don't look like me. It's off-putting. Really? I don't know. See, here's the deal. I have a friend of mine, African-American. Dan, do you see color? I'm like, yeah, what are you talking about? Of course I do. Everybody does. Does it change my opinion? No. I watch and support England, but for me, the French team, I love it. It's beautiful. All right. Why are French able to get it right, but we're struggling when we have such a diverse... I'm supporting, but who can I say I relate to and look like? That can be off-putting. This is a former England 16 and under who plays senior football at Guyana. It's disheartening. Visibility is important. Why? I mean, damn, if you're an athlete, a real athlete, you know what you do? You know. I'll beat her ass. See that number nine? I'll beat her ass. But you know what? When you want to write an article, and Charlotte Harper wanted to write an article, you can find a couple people. You can slant anything the way you want it. You could say about this soccer team, my God, is it a fun team to watch? You could say it's not diverse enough. You could talk positive. You can talk negative. And you could find people to support either stance. Look, sports has always been about one thing and one thing only. Just win, baby. Uh, let's see this. I do like Kirby smart wants the Alabama Georgia game on campuses. Why wouldn't it be like, seriously, why, why would you not want it on campus? Now, look, you got to understand John Calipari in Kentucky, John Calipari in Kentucky came to Indiana the last time and Indiana was trying to build it. It was a heated game. A lot of things said and done. And Indiana won the game, and some former Playboy playmate says that she twisted her ankle. I got hurt. I twisted my ankle. Oh, okay. Okay. You twisted your ankle. You okay? All right. All right. You're okay, right? Yeah, I twisted my ankle. I, I, I'm a Playboy playmate. Pay attention to me. I twisted my ankle. Okay. All right. Yeah, you did. You twisted your ankle. We feel bad about that. We're sorry. Calipari said, I don't care. The environment was dangerous. We're never going back. He ain't going back because he got his ass beat. He ain't going back because he doesn't have to go back. Everybody knows that. The Indiana-Kentucky series was and had, had been one of the great series of all time. It was always played the same day, all that kind of stuff. People in Indiana really didn't care. Kentucky people didn't really care. They played each other once a year, and it was great. I mean, that's it. It was great. And then Calipari got beat. He didn't like it. And so now, all of a sudden, Kentucky and Indiana don't play anymore. And Calipari wants to play it uh, on, ho- on bigger venues. And Indiana wants to play it at home. And we'll see what happens. Okay? We'll, we'll see what happens. All right. I'm sorry. I got this wrong. Uh, it is Florida, not Alabama. I screwed that up, fellas. It's the Florida-Georgia game. All right? So now Kirby Smart has said, look, I want the Florida. I totally screwed that up. I, I, he wants the Florida um, 
Georgia game to be played at home. Now, there's a couple reasons for this. One, it's played in Jacksonville, which is Florida, the home of Florida. And two, he's right. Dude's absolutely right. You got a big game like this? Why not treat the home folks? Why has everybody got to go up for the biggest, world's biggest con- uh, cocktail party up there in Jacksonville? I wouldn't do it. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. I'd do whatever anybody wanted me to do, whatever's best. But I got to tell you, when Al- Auburn plays Alabama, guess where the recruits are? They're at Auburn. When LSU and Alabama play, guess where the biggest recruits want to go? It's an opportunity for us to bring the kids over. They'd like to see Georgia play uh, Florida, but they can't do it. Because everything is involved in recruiting. Kirby Smart ain't wrong. He ain't wrong at all. Not wrong. Hell no, he's not wrong. They should play in home size. I've never understood the Jacksonville thing. I'm sure it goes back to when some governor of some state and some governor of an I don't know idea, and I don't care. If I'm Kirby Smart, I want home sites. If I'm John Calipari and Mike Woodson, I want home sites. Look, you got to understand about these coaches. These coaches are under no pressure. Now, you can say Cal Perry is under pressure. You can say Kirby Smart's under pressure. They're under no pressure. Let me tell you what pressure is. Pressure is having a young family, coaching in the MAC, making about $100,000 a year, knowing your ass is going to get fired because your last five years, your three best players have been hurt. That's pressure. That's pressure because you know you got basically from the start of this season till the end of this season, you're going to get fired. There's obviously not enough in the bank. That's pressure. Cal Perry got $100 million in the bank. Kirby Smart got $100 million in the bank. They no pressure. Worrying about one loss don't matter. Worry about one loss when you're a Mac coach making $100,000 a year in 2008, seven, whatever the hell it was when I was there. That's pressure. You're watching your kid every night crying because you got your ass beat and there's not a damn thing you can do with it. You got all kind of fans telling you, hey, coach, man, this is the best coaching job I've ever seen. But you know as a coach, hey, look, that's great, but when the season's over and your record stinks, uh, you're done, and now you got to find a job, and now you got two kids, and now you got a young wife. That's pressure. These idiots that coach big-time college basketball and football that make 9 and $10 million a year, that don't want to play for the fans, that worry about losing one game. They're under no pressure. You fire John Calipari tomorrow. You say, hey, look, we don't think you're the man. Guess what John Calipari does? John Calipari goes out and makes $9 million somewhere else. Or guess what John Calipari does? He don't go become the fifth assistant to uh, Calvin Sampson. No. He can quit, sit on his big-ass yacht, and away you go. He doesn't have a yacht. Same with Kirby Smart. So wake up. Wake the hell up. Start doing something for the fans. Start doing something for someone other than yourselves. You're worried about one loss. Stop it, stupid. Go play at Al- or excuse me. Go play at Georgia. Go play at Florida. Indiana, go play at Kentucky. Kentucky, go play at Indiana. Shut the hell up and do something for somebody else. Football coaches are the most self-serving people in America, followed by basketball. They're all the same. Just shut the hell up. Seriously. I agree with Kirby Smart. Go play it in, what is it, Athens, Georgia. Ain't that hard. All right, we come back. Jason Allen Hammer. I got, hey, just post that what you had, Ryan, about Quidditch. I know zero, nothing about this. I know nothing uh, about J.K. Rawlings. I know nothing. But if you don't mind posting that, that would be awesome. Because... This happened, wokeness happened, and uh, 
Yeah, Ryan was really quick with the graphics right there. He asked me if I wanted to post this latest, and I don't know what all this means, but I do know it is wokeness. Quidditch Tower, hold on a second here. Quidditch changes name to Quadball after J.K. Rowling's trans quotes. All right. Okay. All right. So if one of you guys can come on here and tell me the story, apparently J.K. Rowling's, who obviously wrote all this stuff, is anti-trans. Okay. All right. Everybody that doesn't just jump up and down, stand in their head and poop snowballs about the trans community is anti-trans. <laughs> in a Senate hearing, Josh Hawley asked some crazy-ass wild-eyed professor from Berkeley about who can have a baby, and he was transphobic. So apparently... Um, The Harry Potter author, J.K. Rowling's, is, um, she had vitriol towards the trans community. All right. All right. We're going to talk to Jason Allen Hammer now. world is nuts, man. I tell you what, all this stuff I talked about, the most nuts thing is giving James Harden $34 million to play basketball. $68 million total. That's insane. That's just stupid. What a great agent he has. We'll be right back with the great, not the good, not the good, the great Jason Allen Hammer. It's Hammer time. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Uh, I love, I love talking to the great Jason. Alan Hammer, he has the best show on the radio. It's from 3 to 7. It's Hammer and Nigel. Uh, Their station just got nominated for a large market Marconi Award, which is one of the great awards, if not the best. Well, it is the best award that you can have. And the biggest reason is Jason, Alan, Hammer, Nigel, and Hammer. Hammer and Nigel, excuse me. Excuse me. All right. People may not know this, but we... And I'm now I'm turning deadly serious here. We've got a couple heroes right here in the great state of Indiana. Let's start in Greenwood, man, where a shooting happened. And Elijah uh, Brecken, he said no. I mean, he shot the, the guy shooting, and God bless him, man. Yes, Elijah Dickin. Let's make sure we get this kid's name right Bicken, because he yeah. needs all yes. the recognition yes. in the world. Um, this was a 22-year-old who happened to be at the food court in the mall when a crazed gunman comes out of the food court restroom and starts opening fire. And he's got a high caliber rifle. He kills three people. But within 15 seconds, that threat was eliminated by a good guy with a gun. And that good guy was Elijah Dickin. The story on this is like something from a movie. Now, 
let's not do a victory lap because three people did die. A husband, a wife, and a 30-year-old all lost their lives in this mall shooting in a suburb of Indianapolis this past Sunday. And God bless those family members. I've reached out. I spoke to a couple of those that knew these people, that worked with these people, just hardworking people that were living the American dream. Came to this country, you know, found work. They were working like 60 hours a week, grinding away, never had a bad thing to say. And they lost their lives for being at the wrong place at the wrong time. But according to the police and the 911 dispatch calls and everything, it was only 15 seconds of gunfire because a good Samaritan, as is being called, Eli Dickin, had his right to carry weapon with him and eliminated the threat. And not only did he eliminate the threat, he led others to safety. His girlfriend was with him. He made her get down, go to the exit, lead others to the exit. And it wasn't like this kid was just firing random shots from across the mall. Coach, he closed in on the shooter. He ran to the danger. And all of this transpired in 15 seconds. And if you're having a hard time believing that, this is from the body cameras of the uh, police officers. This is from the 911 calls that have come into the Johnson County Emergency Center. And this is from eyewitnesses that were on the scene. Multiple different levels, multiple different people confirming that in 15 seconds, this 22-year-old had the presence of mind to get people to safety, eliminate the threat, and by eliminating it, he ran to danger, ran in on the shooter. As a matter of fact, if you look at uh, the way that this thing played out, the gunman was running away from the good guy with the gun when ultimately he lost his life. Eli Dickin fired 10 shots. Eight of them hit the bad guy. As of right now, zero, we believe, hit anybody or anything else. This guy is a hero. And he should be treated as such. We throw the word hero around quite a bit in society, whether it's somebody that hits a big shot in a basketball game or does something, whatever. But this is real life. This is life and death. If three people were grisly murdered in 15 seconds, can you imagine how much more that death toll would have been? What the carnage would have been had Eli Dickin not been there with his legal firearm? And for those who are watching this in another state that don't know the laws in Indiana, constitutional carry is a law. It just began at the beginning of July, meaning that in order for you to carry your weapon around anywhere you want to go, you still have to pass a background check, but you don't have to have a permit. So, you know, he didn't have to have a permit with him. He had it legally. And according to the Greenwood Police Department, this kid was trained proficiently. He did not have any police training. He was not a member of the military, did not have military training. But when he got his firearm, he decided he wanted to get trained and do it the right way. So there are so many good things coming out of this story. Um, and let's not forget the Greenwood Police Department and first responders. They were also on the scene in about two minutes. That's an amazing amount of time to be on the scene and inside the mall, especially when you consider the Mickey Mouse clown show you saw down in Uvalde, Texas. 
But with that being said, imagine how many more dead bodies you would have seen if Eli Dickin would not have been in that mall and everybody had to wait two minutes for the police to get there. That's an incredible turnaround time, but three people were murdered in 15 seconds. What would that number have been had there not been a right to carry citizen in that mall? Yeah, I want to piggyback on that for a second. First, I do want to apologize for getting his name wrong. I couldn't read my writing as I as I wrote it here, and I looked at it quickly. But yeah, uh, imagine you're Dickin, all right? And I always go to this uh, hammer time, and you're at a mall. You're at a food court. We've all been to food court. Hell, my wife works in a mall, and I go sometimes to meet her, and we have lunch at the food court. Imagine how clear your head had to be to, within 15 seconds, recognize what's going on, number one, have the stones to stand in there, have the wherewithal to point your gun and take this guy out, and then lead people to safety. I mean, I got to tell you, you're right. You're right about this. I was watching golf this weekend and they were talking about how uh, Cam Smith was brave and I'm like brave my ass you know that's golf this is not only incredibly brave but what's incredibly calm confident and you know what else you made a great point here the kid was also prepared too being prepared is a big ass deal in this being prepared keeps you calm but what an amazing story by an amazing guy. You're right, coach. And again, the thing that I think a lot of people need to take from this, a lot of people could pass a background check and get a firearm, right? A lot of people could. Right. As long as you don't have a felony, as long as you haven't done knucklehead things, you can get a firearm and pass a background check. But getting the proper training and knowing what to do with it, that's something totally different. So if anybody's watching this that's thinking about getting a firearm, or maybe they've already got one, get the training that goes along with it. And when you go into a room, I don't care if it's church, I don't care if it's the mall, if it's a restaurant, I know my family, we look for exits. Just in case there's going to be something that goes down, we wanna know how we can get out of there and what we can do to help. And also look around, see who could be people that would help you. And don't for one minute hear all this bull crap of, well, you're, you're judging people. Yeah, maybe I am. There's nothing wrong with that. Of course. I grew up to believe if you see something, say something. And if that upsets somebody, I don't give a blue rat's ass. Find people that can help you. The lesson there should have been learned on flight number 93 on 9-11 when a couple of the passengers looked around for some other dudes that would be willing to help out. And then you got the world-famous let's roll situation. There's nothing wrong with judging people from time to time when you're looking for good guys to help. And the last thing on this story, there's and there's another angle to this. There's another complete angle to this, Coach. I don't know where everybody lives that's watching this, but here in Indianapolis, the media coverage of this has been borderline gross because most people with common sense would look at this 22-year-old from you know basically the country, uh, Seymour, Indiana, and say, thank you, you are a hero. But we have multiple media members and outlets in this city that went after the hero because he took a gun into a gun-free zone, which was the mall. 
the newspaper of record here, the Indianapolis Star, they had a story the very next day before noon. One of their online digital headlines was, should he have had a mall in the gun? Uh, a, a mall, should he have had a gun in the mall? A gun in the mall. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. That's the angle that you want to go down? There's another really woke reporter in the city that works at a local television station during the press conference with the police officers, and they've had a number of press conferences. They kept referring to Eli as the second shooter. Now, if you're watching a press conference and you don't follow the news as closely as we all do, you hear the phrase second shooter and you think that this is a bad guy or it was like the wild, wild west inside of that mall where there's a guy with a gun over here. There's a guy with a gun over there and everybody's firing and there's crossfire. No, there was a good guy with a gun that fired 10 shots. Eight of them hit the bad guy and eliminated the threat in 15 seconds. But we've got a newspaper. We've got a reporter. Their angle is to try to make it look like this guy should not have had a firearm in a gun-free zone. And I spoke to a number of lawyers, Coach. You don't have to follow that rule. It's not a law. That is a policy. Policy is not law. You can take your firearm to protect your family into a gun-free zone. Now, that business has the right to not sell you something. They have the right to ask you to leave. They can do those things. But if they're not enforcing anything, it's a policy. Honest to God, you know, who's a reporter? Do I know him? Uh, it's a guy by the name of Russ McQuaid, who works uh, at Fox 59 and CBS yeah. 4 here in Indianapolis. Russ has been in this business for a long time. He's been on my program before. He's done some really good work. But over the last couple of years, I don't know if his management has told him, we need you to be a little bit more edgy. We need you to kind of pick a side here because the Russ McQuaid that reports now is not the Russ McQuaid that used to do really good work. And for him to basically call this kid the second shooter, that's so gross. That's so disgusting. And for the Indy Star, think about this. In the last four days, Coach, the last four days, they ran an awful headline about the hero from Greenwood. They ran a hit piece on you the same day you were doing your charity golf outing. And in that same hit piece <laughs> against you, they ripped on you for doing other charity work. This is the kind of rag that we have here in Indianapolis. Yeah, it's sad. It's actually exposed what I've always said about him, though, HT. It's exposed exactly what I've said. I want to go back uh, to something. It got overlooked. But there's a young man named Nick Bostic, who is a Papa John's delivery guy, 26 years old. This dude ran into, I'm going to show video of him later on in this show. This dude ran into a fire twice to save people, this guy, Nick Bostic. We got heroes in Indiana, man. We do. We do. This gives you a little bit of faith in humanity, doesn't it? Because I got to be honest, I may be one of those curmudgeon guys that looks at like the younger generation. All right, you guys are eating Tide Pods. You're burning yourselves with coils. What are we doing here? There's no chance, you know, our, uh, our generation is going to survive if this is the group that's taking care of us. But every once in a while, you get some folks that step up to the plate to let you know <laughs> things are going to be all right. Every once in a while, you get somebody that runs into a burning building multiple times to save people or goes out of their way to save strangers in a mall. 
You know, these are the stories that probably don't get the headlines, but damn it, maybe they should. Maybe they should. I know that the, you know, doom and gloom gets clicks and it gets ratings. Uh, I understand that. But man, hearing some good news goes a long way. I have been so happy hearing these two stories out of Indiana, Coach. Um, and I feel like there's more people out there that do these types of things, but maybe they don't beat their chest on Facebook or Instagram. They don't get the headlines from the local newspaper, or maybe the TV stations don't even know that this is going on. It feels like every single day across this country, there are good people. And this kind of goes into a conversation we've had before. Social media is not real life. Social media, blue check marks, a lot of the headlines, it's not real life. What real life is, is good people who work, who love their family, who get up every morning, make a living, and they do good things and they help their fellow man. These are two examples of that type of situation. And I really hope and pray. And I think there are a lot more of those stories out there. Oh, there's no question. I mean, you can write a hit piece or you can write something somebody does good. Everybody understand. I, you're so right. All right, let me go back to something else. I got a gun. Uh, I didn't want a gun. I don't like guns. I don't mind people having guns. I mean, it's everybody's choice. I just, when I was a kid, I, my neighbor, um, their neighbor, one kid shot the other kid because the gun wasn't properly disposed of. And I've always been afraid of something like that. But I will tell you this. When you talked about Mr. Dickon going out and training himself properly, I went to a shooting range. And it shocked me, Hammer. I thought that I could just, you know, like, I watched the movies. I think I can, hey, there you are in front of me, boom. I'm telling you, Jason, being trained properly is so important because, you know, you go to a shooting range and they send that thing out there, right, and you think it's right there and you're going to, you know, you're going to hit it in the head, you know, that paper thing that you get at a shooting. Hammer, I, I, I was like Gene Wilder, well, like this. I mean, I, I, you got to be trained, man. And, and, there's, and th these laws are set up for people to do them the right way. Right? And that's what Elijah Dickon did. He did it the right way and it helps society. That's right. Get trained. And there are people, and there are people on social media and in the media in the city that want to associate him with doing something wrong in that whole it's situation. You've got Shannon Watts of uh, Moms Demand Action putting out ridiculous tweets that she would later go on to delete about what transpired in the mall. Uh, I'm sorry. The hero was Eli Dickin. You know, in a world of people that love to, you know, pump their chest and get clicks and do all these things on social media, the world needs more people like Eli Dickin and my man that ran into the fire in uh, in Lafayette, Indiana. Yeah, Nick Bostic, absolutely they do. I, and the other side of the story is, correct me if I'm wrong, but in Portland we've got an Antifa. I was going to swear, summer camp for kids. An Antifa we do. summer camp for kids. And, Coach, I think Discuss. you left out a key word there. Taxpayer-funded Antifa summer oh. camp for kids. Because this is being put on and supported by the city of Portland. So if you are in the grades four through eight, you can spend a couple weeks at this camp being put on by this radical group in Portland 
where they're going to teach kids, again, grades four through eight, how to be activists, how to protest. And part of the teachings that you're going to get, some of the items that you're going to get in the summer camp include a chant book, a map on some of the most diverse districts in Portland. You're going to get a listing of all the laws in Portland, and they're going to teach your kids about white privilege. They're going to teach your kids about racism. They're going to teach your kids how to get the attention of the media. These are all things that are being taught to, again, fourth through eighth graders in Portland, taxpayer-funded Antifa summer camp. Why can't we just let kids be kids? Why do we need drag shows? Why do we need Antifa summer camp? Why do we need sexual orientation? Why do we need sexual identity? Why can't we let kids be kids? And you know what's going to happen? Freaking kids will figure this all out for themselves when they get older. I'm going to answer that question for you, Coach. The radical left in this country does not want kids to be kids because they might grow up and have common sense. And they can't have that. Right. They want these kids from as young as they can to understand you're a professional victim. The white man is the devil. Everybody's out to get you. And if you don't like a decision, then you have to start a fire. The policeman, that's the bad guy here. Go break a window if you don't like what happened with that police officer. The more they can teach these things, the more Democrat votes they're going to get when these kids turn 18. Uh, well, um, I, I was going to say good luck to him, but hell no. Bad luck to him. Hope it all gets destroyed. I mean, you uh, can't, Biden says you he can't has... dismiss this. You can't dismiss it. No, Look at the no, crime in all no. the major cities in this country. It's all Democratic right. leadership. Every bit of it is Democratic leadership. And these same kids that are going to Antifa summer camp now, they're going to grow up. They're going to want to defund the police. They're going to want all these socialist policies, all these radical Democrat policies, because it's all they've ever known. And their radical parents think that it's cute to indoctrinate their kids at an early age. This is something we think is ridiculous. But, I mean, this is a pipeline for the Democratic Party in this country. Hey, but I know I, I'm just asking you this. Did you see where Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, are, is crying about uh, illegal immigrants in his city? Oh, and he's not the only one. The mayor of Washington, D.C., uh, Muriel Bowser, <laughs> right. doing the exact same thing now. They're fine with all of these folks coming across Governor Abbott's border in Texas, bringing the fentanyl with them, bringing all the other things, uh, risking lives. We had that horrible story where over 50 people died in a human smuggling accident in the extreme heat in Texas about a month ago. They're fine with all that, but they don't want them in their neighborhood. This is what you get with lawmakers and high-profile politicians. It's the January 6th situation. There were riots and murders all through this country in the summer of love of 2020. But the minute something happened at the Capitol, the minute that something happened in their backyard, we've got to get a committee. We've got to get all these fact finders together. We've got to put it on television. Even though more people were brutally murdered across this country in the George Ford riots of 2020 than anything that happened at the Capitol, think about how much time and money, taxpayer money, we're spending on that investigation. Last night, the killer hey. of David Dorn, the police officer in St. Louis, his killer was finally uh, sent to prison. He was convicted. 
David Dorn was a black 70 plus year old police officer that was a security guard in St. Louis, brutally murdered on social media because people wanted to loot the store. Here in Indianapolis, Chris Beatty, young, popular black kid, did promotions, was Mr. Indianapolis, played football at Indiana University, was brutally murdered in the George Floyd riots because he was trying to break up a mugging against a woman. All of those things apparently don't matter, but the minute something happens in Washington, D.C., or to a high-profile politician, then everybody gets their panties in a wad, and we have to have special sessions. Speaking of D.C., Joe Biden claims to have cancer, and we're just shrugging our shoulders. We don't even think it's weird anymore. No. No, this is where we're at with the president of the United States. He goes out. He says he's got cancer. But everybody knows that, oh, it's okay. He just has dementia. And we're okay with that. <laughs> like, his staff is so quick to put out a statement. Well, what he meant to say was, and everybody's okay with that. The guy with the <laughs> nuclear codes says he has cancer. And everybody says, it's okay. He just has dementia. Oh, well, that makes me feel better. Okay, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> The Babylon Bee put that out, and I tweeted it this morning. Joe Biden's excuse for saying he wrongfully saying he has cancer is that he has dementia. There's a great article on Outkick by a guy that you would love, Bobby Barack, where he basically says, and I would love your comment on this, 30 years from now, how are we going to explain all this? Like, how are we going to explain <laughs> that we got a president that, that shuffles uh, and because there's some cords across and carpeting, his staff is worried he's going to fall. He can't speak in public. We can't define a woman. We say men can have babies. And if you don't say men can have babies, then you tell a congressman, Josh Hawley, that you are inciting violence, lady. How are we going to explain all this, Hammer, in 30 years? How, how, how? Well, I'm telling you, the textbooks 30 years from now will be from the same people who think all of this is okay. I'm telling you, you're right, my grandkids, right. my great-grandkids, their textbooks are going to have a list of the greatest presidents, and you're going to have Abe Lincoln, George Washington, and Joe Biden. And they're going to put them all in the same conversation. Like, remember when Donald Trump was a little concerned he might slip on a slippery ramp at West Point or Army or somewhere, speaking with some of our uh, cadets, and he walked really slowly? Everybody lost their mind. Joe Biden falls every other weekend. He falls going up the stairs of Air Force One. He can't get up. He's riding his bike. He falls. He says he's got cancer. He says, if you don't like him, you're not black. This is not okay. This is not what the president of the United States is supposed to be. And on top of that, like all of his goofy ass stuff to the side, that yesterday happened at a speech on climate change. Did anybody see the motorcade? that the Biden administration rolled up to on that speech about climate change. One big, badass, gas-guzzling SUV after the other, man. Like, it was a parade of all this kind of stuff. And you just look at that, and what can you do? You can only laugh because you're not going to hear that story on most news outlets, but anybody with two eyes can see, wait a minute, why are you coming to a speech on the climate when one, you have a big badass SUV motorcade, and two, you fly privately to the beach every weekend up in Delaware. 
Now, if I'm to believe your message on climate change, everybody on the beach is in danger right now because they're gonna be underwater here in the next five minutes. Hell, Obama moved to the beach and he's Mr. Climate Change. Obama, any rank of great presidents must include Mr. Hope and Change. Hope and Change, baby. <laughs> the dude. Yeah. Hey, you when can third, keep the change. When, when, when 30 Rock makes fun of you, which they did in a couple episodes for literally doing nothing, you've really done nothing. Uh, but Obama's <laughs> our guy, man. He's a citizen. Yay, Rob. Hey, don't leave out Obama when you talk. Obama or Biden, who will be listed as the greatest president? <laughs> In the history oh, it'll of be the Obama. It'll clearly be Obama because he checks oh, more no boxes. Question. But really, Joe Biden needs oh, to be in the hey, conversation with Jimmy Carter in a bag of sand. But they're going to lift him up as this great uniter. Hey, I think um, I think I put a poll out. Who would do a better job, bag of sand or uh, Joe Biden? I also said on this show about a, two months ago, we're going totally back. So when I was a kid, 1979, with gas prices, inflation, wars, I mean, misery indexes. The misery index, <laughs> anyway, whatever. Uh, you hey, forgot Hammer segregation. Time. Segregation's a big part of that, too. <sighs> hey, Hammer, how does Joe Biden get away from being, I mean, I know we all laugh at it now, but how does he continually, how, how did he, this is time for another show, but... That dude continually gets away from his past. He, we have a montage of crap that he's lied about, like going back to when he had the plugs going and going back pre-plugs. Right. The stuff he's lied about over these years is stunning to me. It is stunning. And he gets away well, with it. As the great George Costanza once said, it's not a lie if you believe it. <laughs> and I don't know whether he believes it or not, or his crazy ass just forgot that he said it. I mean... Either way, I mean, there's a legitimate chance either one of those could be the case. I know. I know you got to move along, man. Hey, I thank you. Thanks, Hammer Time. You're the best. You got it. Thank you. That's the great Jason. Spitting truce. That's right. That's what we do. We spit truce on here. Damn it. Uh, Jeff Nelson's going to join. Jeff Nelson is one of the best guys to talk to about whatever you want to talk to. We're going to talk some baseball. He's a, he is an all-star pitcher with the Yankees. I got to find out about pitching with the Yankees. I got to find out. All right. That's got to be a lot of heat on you. I'll talk to Jeff Nelson, former major leaguer, when we come back. Also, on Twitter, if you would like, uh, send me any questions that you might have. We should probably do some questions on Twitter. And those of you on the YouTube chat, I'm coming right now, baby. I haven't been over there. It's time for me to get over to the YouTube chat and see what the hell we're whining about today over there. We got 300 people watching. Let's go. Let's do it, YouTube chat. See what the hell's happening around here. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Uh, Jeff Nelson, all-star pitcher, World Series champ, now broadcaster, 100-some games every year. You see him, you know him, you love him. Jeff, I got to ask you first, thanks for coming on my show, but one of the things that, you know, everybody, like I, I played and coached college basketball, played at Indiana, there's a lot of pressure, you know, and that's fine. And everybody wants to do something else. Always wanted to play in Yankee Stadium. Never did that. You did. Let me ask you a question. When in your big league career, you played a number of places, White Sox, Mariners, how different or is it different playing in Yankee Stadium? Old Yankee Stadium is way different than any place else in baseball, maybe in sports. I don't you know. I like you, you play basketball, and I don't know where in football it would be similar, but old Yankee Stadium, whether you're at home or you're a visitor, it's, it was probably the toughest place to play. I mean, the fans expect 100% all the time. They'll let you know, even if you're a home player, they're going to let you know when you're not doing well. And you have to have thick skin. But the excitement there, the, the, the excitement the fans bring, uh, you never know what you're going to hear from the fans or what comes out of their mouth, but they are loyal, passionate Yankee fans. And it, it really pays off now that I walk around. I live in Manhattan, and I walk around in Manhattan, and, you, you know, you, you get all these, hey, I wish you still pitched. I'm like, well, I, there's no way I can do it anymore. But it was just an experience unlike it's anything that I've ever ever been around before. And and it was just electric, electric and, and it was so exciting. I loved even pitching as a visitor there. It was never intimidating for me. When you walk in there and whether you're setting up or whether you're closing, whatever you're doing, in Yankee Stadium, as a Yankee, in a playoff game, can you describe it? You know, it's it's one of those things that I, I for a middle reliever, you know, setup guy, I, I love the pressure. You know, I love coming in with guys on base or when the when the score was tight. And I always used, I, I kind of used the fans as as motivation and maybe the negativity as motivation. I always wanted to be. I said, you know what, you're not going to write about me today. You're not going to come to my locker because as a reliever, the only time they're going to come to you is if you if you blow the game. You know, they're not going to come to you if you do well or strike out the side or whatever. They're going to come to you if you blow the game. I said, well, you're not coming to me today. You're not going to boo me. And I use that as like motivation. And I'm like, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, get the job done for my team. So I, I love that part. I love the pressure. I love the fact that, you know, I was using the fans as, as motivation. What's the worst thing anybody ever said about you in your own mind <laughs> from a home from a home field home? <laughs> oh, I, I don't know if we can say, you know, I, 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 oh, I, you know, when in New York, I think when when kids first words there, it wasn't mom and dad. It was like, you're a bum or you stink, you know. That that was the kid. That was that was a child's first word in New York. If you were a Yankee fan, but uh, you know, I, you probably can't say a lot of the stuff that you heard. But it was, ex you know, I when I was a Mariner in '95 in the playoffs, and we were out. It was the first time in a long time that the Yankees made the playoffs, and I was out in the bullpen warming up to come in the game. And this is back when beers were only about five bucks. So you know, once somebody hit a home run, they were flying all over the stadium. Uh, but I had about four or five Budweiser's poured all over me while I was warming up. And I came in the game and Lou Pinella looked at me and I thought I was drinking. And I was like, 
Nope. I, you know, I'm drenched and you got to keep it going. And, but it was, uh, it's something, man. It's, it's special. Old new Yankee stadium, maybe a little different, maybe a little bit milder than old Yankee stadium. I was walking off the court one time and really hot girl. I mean, smoking hot. Hey, Dan, Dan, come here. And I, you know, just got done playing Indiana and I walk over. Right. And I know if I walk over too far, and Bobby Knight's going to kill me when I get in a, you know, for, I walk over and I'm like, yeah, here we go. And she's, you're the biggest, dumbest mother, blanket, son of a bitch. I'm like, whoa, whoa. I, I felt like I meant something in that girl's world. So you meant something to these people that thought enough of you to throw a beer on you or to cuss you out or to call you. Uh, you meant something in these folks' lives. Yeah, you know, I say. I, I guess uh, we both can say, you know, Reggie Jackson used to say, hey, they just don't boo anyone, you know, so they, they knew who you were <laughs> right. and they're going to let you have it. So at least at least you had that going for you. Are you going to watch or have you watched any of the Jeter stuff? And what was he like? You know, I did. I watched I watched the first episode. The second one is tonight. And I'm looking forward to seeing it because it, right, it ended right when we, when I was in Seattle in 95, when we knocked out the Yankees in the ALDS. And so I'm looking forward to keep watching. He was such a great teammate. I, you know, I played with him for six years. And to me, probably, if not the smartest player that I've played with or against, it has to be, you know, top one or two or three. You know, he was just he never, he, he never let the moment get to him. Nothing was too big for him. And he always wanted su- to succeed. He always wanted to be the best. And I know went back then they had Mar- you know, no Mark Garcia par with the Red Sox and Miguel Tejada for the Orioles. You had a rod at short and still to this day, I might be a little biased, but still I would take, I would take Jeter over any of them, you know, as far as all around player, as far as shortstop, as far as knowing what to do, as far as clutch hitter, you know, not the, not letting the moment get to him. I would have taken Jeter over anybody in baseball. What, what was it? What was he on a daily basis? What was he? What was he about? What was he like? What, what was his routine? Did you ever pay attention? Yeah, you know, I, I did a lot. You know, he was uh, he was very free spirited. He liked to have fun, but once once the game started, then he stepped between the lines, and it was then it was all business, and everybody followed. You, you know, his it wasn't just a cliche that he he said if we're not winning the World Series, we've had a bad year. That's how he operated. That's how he went and and played every single day. Uh, and guys followed that. I mean, he he said I'm going to do my job, and he expects everybody else to do his, but. He was a great teammate. He was a great guy. He liked to have fun. He liked to, you know, during batting practice, he liked to laugh. You can make him laugh. You can mess with him a little bit. Uh, you can go to dinner with him. He had his little, uh, he had his little click. It was him, Jorge Posada, and Tina Martinez. I mean, those guys were like three peas in a pod. He couldn't separate them. But as far as everybody else, he was, a, he was a great teammate to everyone. Jeff, I love hearing about. I'm a huge baseball fan. I love hearing about you know, facing certain guys for you, your situation was always, you know, what they call it high leverage, right? You're coming in there to face the best hitters. Go back, give some people some names of dudes that were just badass dudes. Ooh, well, I mean, I, I used to face, 
you know, I faced a lot of righties, so I knew when I would go into different, I mean, certain cities, and I would look at their lineup, and I'm like, okay, this is the majority of, of right-handed hitters, and I knew I was going to probably wind up pitching all three or four days. You know, when you face te- the Texas Rangers back in the day when they had they had Juan Gonzalez and Palmero, uh, Ivan Rodriguez, they had Jose Canseco, Julio Franco, Dean Palmer. Uh, you know, they had a monster offense, and, and I was facing them every single day. Uh, you know, you go into Chicago and you're facing Frank Thomas. You know, you look at him. The first time I was in the big leagues and I faced this guy, I had to step off. I said, I've never seen anybody in my life as big as this guy <laughs> in the minor leagues. You know, it, it was incredible. And, you know, you Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, I played with him. He was my teammate and I faced him. You know, probably the best player I've ever seen or ever played against. You know, he was just uh, – I've never seen anyone – quite like him before but you always then you're you're facing you're facing mark mcguire i mean you're, you're facing these guys that uh alex rodriguez you're facing some i'm coming in in these situations and i'm facing these guys all the time with the game on the line and you absolutely loved it now you know they got me every once in a while but at the same time you you uh you said okay i gotta get these guys out it was a thrill pitching against those guys Great brawl with Benitez back in the day with the Orioles. It was, you know, he, we were, when I was in Seattle, I think it was either, it might've been 1993 and Edgar Martinez hit a home run. We were in, when I was in Seattle, we were in Baltimore and Edgar Martinez hit a home run off of Benitez and Tino Martinez is the next hitter and Benitez hit him right in the back. Well, fast forward a, a few years, about five years in 98, Bram Lloyd and myself were out in the bullpen and Bernie Williams hits a, either a grand slam or a home run off of Benitez. Benitez didn't like it. Tino was up and I told, turned to Graham. I said, Graham, I said, he's going to hit Tino. He's done it before. And Graham looked at me and he said, listen, if he, if he hits him, we're charging. I, we don't care if the you know, bench is clear. We're going down the ramp and we're opening the outfield door ourselves and we're charging. And sure enough, he got drilled in the back and boom, we start running down, running down this little uh, cement ramp and we opened the outfield door, old Yankee stadium. By then the benches were clearing, but we went, we took off and went right at Benitez. And it was, it was, it went on for like 20 minutes. Uh, You know, they had a hard time breaking that up. I mean, we used to have some really good brawls back in the day when I was in Seattle in 93, we got in a brawl with the Orioles that probably lasted 20, 25 minutes. And they had to have the the local police department try to break it up because they, the umpires just couldn't get couldn't get uh, control of it. Did did you ever have an issue? Like, did you ever get jacked, or did it, you jacking? I mean, did you ever walk out of there going, "Oh man, you know, I got drilled," or "Oh man, I knocked the sh- out of that guy." You you did, but luckily I I, I missed everyone. I missed every uh, never got drilled. But you you throw you throw a few in there, and you always have to watch your back because you're you're in you're in the thick of things, and just guys start swinging. You know, it probably looks ugly on TV because guys are just throwing haymakers. But you know, you always have to watch. You're like you're like on a swivel every time you're in one of these things. Hey, uh, Danny Plezak and I grew up together, and he tells a great story. He told it to me um, on air a week or so ago. Uh, pitching against Dave Winfield. And he said, you know, I, I usually went along with whatever they wanted me to throw. I had a fastball, I had a slider, that's about it. But whenever they called against Dave Winfield, 
a fastball on the outside low corner of the plate. I told him to stick it because Dave Winfield, because of his size, had him scared to death because Dave Winfield was notorious for a low outside fastball coming right back at the head of a pitcher. And he said, I'm just not doing it. I'm not doing it. I don't give a damn. I'll give up a home run before I take one off the head from Dave Winfield. You ever have anybody like that? Yeah, there's uh, – I mean, you know, luckily I threw three quarters, so I was coming inside against these guys. And he's right. You know, I faced Dave Winfield a number of times. He's my favorite player uh, of all time. And I got to face him. And, and uh, you know, he got to know that, that he was my favorite player. And, but I would come inside as well. There is no way – even Frank Thomas, if I would – I would not want to leave one over the middle of the plate because he's coming right back at you about 110, 115 miles an hour. And, <laughs> and there's no way you're getting out of it, getting out of the way of it. And, and you just watch Dave Winfield, his home runs. I mean, he hit some towering shots, but he hit some line drives that you're thinking it's a base hit. It just keeps carrying out over the field. You know, he, he, and he, plus he covered so much of the plate. The guy was six, six. And, you know, a tremendous athlete. So you always had to be careful with those guys. If you didn't get it in, you you pretty much you better duck if it's coming back at you. He said, I ain't doing it. Nah, hey, look, I, I, no. I, I'll do whatever you want. I ain't, do, I ain't doing it, man. Who is, who is the best? Who's baseball's best? You cover this sport. You're on your way now to Miami to do some radio. Um, Who's your, who are we talking about Yankees and, and Dodgers here as the two best? Oh, let's see. Well, you can't you can't leave out the Astros. The Astros have a really good team. Um, I think the Cardinals. You know, watch out for the Cardinals as well. I think they're a really good team. Obviously, the Yankees. Uh, you, you look at out west. Uh, I don't know about the Mariners or what they're going to do. The two. I, I think. Yeah. I, you know, even though the Yankees have the best record, I wouldn't put the Astros maybe a little bit above them. I, I think the Yankees, I think the Yankees are a little intimidated by the Astros and we're going to see today. They have a double header against the Astros, right? Starting out in the second half. So, you know, that, that's an inter- That's going to be an interesting battle there, even in the playoffs. And, and that's going to, that's a hump that the Yankees are going to have to get over. So I, I don't know how much the Yankees are over the Astros at all. Hey, Jeff, I really appreciate it, man. I, I'm a huge baseball fan. Loved watching. You came in. Uh, remember you very well. Great player. Great, great, great pressure player. And it's always a thrill talking to guys like you, Jeff. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for taking a few minutes with us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. That's Jeff Nelson, World Series champ. And he is also... Uh, great broadcaster, but also all-star. And when Jeff Nelson came in, man, they weren't messing around. I mean, these were some high-leverage deals. That's what they call them in baseball now, high-leverage. I don't know what the hell that means, but I know it means uh, it's kind of freaking important right now, and you better get the damn guy out, all right? I don't know if you saw this, but yesterday – I talked about my love of Bill Burr. Bill Burr is the funniest comedian in the world. Other than Dave Chappelle, did you see this? First Avenue. Remember uh, guys that were old enough to watch Prince's movie, Purple Rain? First Avenue was Prince's place. It's an iconic venue. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's iconic. It's right downtown Minneapolis. Uh, I've never been in there, but I've, I've walked there many, many times. 
Well, about three hours before Chappelle was supposed to perform to a sold-out audience, First Avenue officials canceled it and moved it to a different theater two and a half miles away called the Varsity Theater. It was described as totalitarian censorship and hatred of free speech. Artists, staff, and the community were all mad because, of course, Dave Chappelle is the enemy. He has not said what we want him to say. Now, First Avenue claims, of course they claim this, I want diverse voices, they say, freedom of artistic expression. They have claimed to be diametrically opposed to canceling an artist because some people are merely offended. Well, (laughs) that includes you, bruh. See, this is what the world is. The world is, I can say what I want to say. And you're supposed to believe it. We believe in diverse voices and the freedom of artistic expression. But, so everything said, as we all know, before the but, doesn't matter. But, in honoring that, we lost sight of the impact this would have. You know what impact this would have? Dave Chappelle performing downtown. People would have a great time. People would have a great time. People act like this stuff really matters. People act like, well, if Dave Chappelle shows up, well, this really matters. What's going to matter? Whoever shows up is going to have a great time. You know what would probably happen? The most tolerant of us all, our friends on the liberal side of the world, would probably throw eggs at him because they're showing their tolerance. That's the excuse. (laughs) We're showing our tolerance, so if you buy a ticket, then guess what? I must throw eggs at you because you hate and I don't. It is amazing how the absolute most hateful paint themselves as the absolute most loving while doing acts of hate. (laughs) I mean, the world is nuts. Uh, First Avenue staffers had complained to management about Chappelle, even threatened to call off work on the night of Chappelle's show. The decision to appease the woke outrage mob is ironic and shows the theater was listening to a majority. This show was sold out. It was actually sold out to the point where two additional shows were added for Thursday and Friday. 50 protesters, of course, still gathered still gathered outside the Varsity Theater. Of course they did. That's what the most tolerant do. They protest. They protest and they throw stuff at you, and then what they do is they hope they break a window and they can jump behind the bar, loot everything, and go. That's all these clowns are. That's all these woke culture endorsers are. That's all they are. I mean, come on. There's nothing more to it than that. It is a sickness that is prevailing in our society that just because you don't, you don't believe in something, I must protest you. I must throw stuff at you. But by the way, we're the most loving and forgiving. Really? Oh, okay. Really? Oh. 
I, if that's, if that's what you're telling me, then fine. But I just don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see the good guys who rip on other people just because they don't like what they're seeing being the good guys. I don't see it. Maybe I'm wrong. I would love to hear from it. I would love to hear from you on this. I don't know. But because you, as a good guy, supposedly, do rotten things to people that don't, you don't agree with, you ain't the good guy. So I hope Dave Chappelle's shows go great. I hope Dave Chappelle continues to sell out venues all across the country. I hope people at some point wake up and say, yo, what the hell are we really doing here? What are we really, really doing here? Um, This just happened. The United States, back to Brittany Griner, you ready for this? The United States was disrespectful with the wrongful detention claim on Brittany Griner. Now, never underestimate the ability of Joe Biden to F something up. Spokesman for Russian's foreign minister lashed out at the United States characterizing basketball star Brittany Griner's drilling on drug charges as wrongful detention. It shows a disregard for Russian law. Now, she's been jailed since mid-February, and you can't F things up more than what these people have F'd them up in our freaking government, and I don't care what it is. Brittany Griner should be out. It literally took, I believe, I don't know, a week for Donald Trump to get the uh, idiots, Lamar Ball's kid and the other idiots from UCLA out of a Chinese jail. Foreign Ministry spokesman Maria whatever said Thursday legalization of cannabis for medical and recreation use of parts of the United States has no bearing on what happens in Russia. If a United States citizen was taken in connection with the fact that she was smuggling drugs and she does not deny this, then this should be commensurate with our Russian local laws and not with those adapted in San Francisco, New York and Washington. All right, really? Smuggling drugs? Having a cannabis vape is smuggling drugs. That's what it is. You got to be out of your freaking mind. You do. You got to be out of your mind to think this. But I'm telling you, if you and we all are right now, we are all reliant on Joe Biden, the idiots that work around him and his idiotic policies. And we're all under the same umbrella and we're all suffering. Brittany Griner should be out of here so freaking, should have been out of there so fast. Instead, again, timing is everything in life. She got arrested at a time where, oh, I don't know, the United States had just given $40 billion to Russian's enemy, and we were stupid enough because this is what politicians do. Instead of actually getting stuff done, they try to err on the side of public opinion. That's what the media does. They err on the side of public opinion as opposed to trying to get something done. I go like this. I do it all the time on this show. I put up my finger. Which way is the wind blowing? Whichever way the wind blowing is the way that the media and 
our freaking idiot politicians go. And they decided in the Brittany Griner case to take on Russia. They decided in the Brittany Griner case to, hey, look, we're going to insult Russia. It's unbelievable. Uh, Here's other breaking news. Joe Biden has tested positive for COVID-19, according to Benny Johnson. All right. There you go. So I I don't know if that's because he says he has cancer, too. Does does Joe Biden have uh, COVID because of the cancer or... Does Joe Biden, who famously said, can we put his, I'm going to send you this. This is famous from this freaking clown show of a president. Can we actually remember, I can, you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Joe Biden, July 2021. I just sent you guys this tweet. I just sent this to you. Joe Biden said, you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. And the idiot media bought it. And the idiot media wrote about it. And the idiot media has yet to apologize for it. It's unbelievable. Honest to God. Are you surprised? Are you surprised? Uh, Let me go back to Brittany Griner. Brittany Griner, a lot of people are saying, I don't want her back. And that's fine. But the woman had, let's say she had four vape cartridges. I don't know if she had one, two, ten. Who cares? It ain't drug smuggling. There are drug smugglers in this world. There are. And Brittany Griner ain't one of them. She had some vape. Was she entitled? A thousand percent. Did she believe her own bullshit? Of course. It's what athletes do. It's what entitled athletes always do in this country. But she ain't no drug smuggler. And never, ever, ever underestimate the ability of Joe Biden to F things up. You know who said that? President of the United States, Barack Obama. I'm here. I ain't leaving. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You can't make this stuff up. I'm sorry, you can't. We've got, here it is. You're not going to get covid If you have these vaccinations, (laughs) I have a full head of hair. Joe Biden tested positive for COVID. 
Maybe Joe didn't have the vaccinations. You know, the idiots in the media, I said this, I just tweeted this out. The idiots in the media, of course, including our idiots, will never admit they were wrong. They promoted this, man. All across the country, these idiots promoted this. That was at a town hall meeting on CNN. These dumbasses promoted it. They promoted it. They loved it. They said, we've got to go get them. Little writer boy and little writer girl, fresh out of college or fresh off their latest award, said that we've got to go get vaccinated. Yay! You're not going to get it. Now, what you're not going to hear is anybody say, yeah, you know what? Um, you know what? We, um, we were wrong. We had a guy here tell you if you go off to college, send your kid to college, it's like sending your kid to Vietnam. <laughs> anyway, all right. Let's go with the greatest awards that there ever is. The damn awards. Can you be more of a moron? No, I don't think you can. Uh, AOC fake got arrested yesterday. She fake got handcuffed. She put her hands behind her back and doubled down on it, saying that's what you're supposed to do. However, let me ask you a question. She says, I was supposed to to do that. I was doing what you're supposed to do, which is put my hands behind my back when you get arrested. Okay. Yeah. No faking here, she says. Putting your hands behind your back is the best practice while detained, handcuffed or not. But given uh, to avoid escalating the situation. Does that include raising a fist, as we just showed? (laughs) It's pretty funny. (laughs) Oh, man. Honest to God, it's pretty funny. Honest to God, it's pretty funny. It's really funny. Just keep it going. Can somebody get these to AOC? Oh, man, this is good. Look how good my boys are, Dylan and Ryan. Let's see here. Breaking news, new image of the media darling AOC. I'm being arrested right now. You can't tell me I'm not. You can't tell me I'm not. I am. Let's see here. Oh, yeah. Powerful. (laughs) Again, now, OutKick has been decried as a... Sorry about that. Here's how Joe Biden gets defended. There's a guy here on on Twitter. If you have a low autoimmune system, a vaccine will only do so much, a vaccine. If you have... The vaccine just gives you a better chance... Uh, just like any other vaccine. Yeah, all right. But that's not what Joe Biden said, right? That, that's not what he said. What Joe Biden said, uh, Kurt Stingley, was you're not going to get it. Joe Biden just got... <laughs> Joe Biden... God, you can't make these idiots up. Joe Biden just got himself 
after I assume having a vaccine, Joe Biden just got himself COVID. All right. Let's look. And, and, and cancer and uh, oil on his windshield. And he broke up a fight between uh, peppercorn or corn pop. And he uh, took a dump and uh, I, none of it happened. All right, now this is a very serious story. This is a man, Nick Bostic. Nick Bostic is a pizza delivery man up in uh, Lafayette, Papa John's. And people have made fun of him for being a 26-year-old pizza delivery man. But again, people are idiots. Uh, You're going to see video here of Nick Bostic going in and saving lives in a fire. Uh, Let's go ahead and roll the video. It's unbelievable. Guy runs in, and you couldn't really tell, but Nick Bostic was the guy on the floor, and at the end, you heard the cops say, man, you did good, buddy. See, that's the real world. That's the world that I like. Those are the people that I want to be around, those cops, those firemen. Not the bullshit that we see every day. I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to swear anymore. Uh, People made fun of Nick Bostic. People made fun of Nick Bostic, and I'm stunned by this, because he was a pizza delivery guy at age 26. Yeah, I got to tell you, I delivered DoorDash last year. You make fun of me, you go ahead. That's fine. Why do we make fun of certain people's jobs? Nick Bostic ran in, saved a woman, and I think it was a woman, and saved a six-year-old girl. He ran in, came out, heard there was a girl, ran back in. You know what kind of stones that takes? You know what kind of guts? You know what a hero that guy is? I haven't seen one report on it, though, really. I haven't seen one report in our Indie Star or any other newspapers. I mean, maybe a little bit, but I mean, honest to God. Now, it would be interesting to see if somebody could change the narrative on that. But the narrative changing doesn't really matter. In fact, um, what I told you happens, always happens. Remember I just told you about uh, our guy getting COVID, the president of the United States? Remember I just told you about that? Well, the answer to that is not, well, yeah, you know, Dan, you're right. I mean, he did say that you, if you got COVID, um, you know, you, um, exact quote, you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. So here's Kurt. Now, Kurt took it down, I think. Good for Kurt. Oh, no, Kurt did not. 
Kurt Singerly, who is a staunch defender, you know, you get to know some of these guys based on Twitter. Instead of just saying, yeah, the guy screwed it up. Kurt says, if you have low autoimmune system, a vaccine will only do so much. If you have cancer, diabetes, heart issues, obese, etc., you are susceptible to COVID. The vaccine gives you a better chance of surviving, just like any other vaccine. That's true. But Kurt, it's not what the president said. What the president said was, quoting, Town Hall, July 2021. You're not going to get covid if you have these vaccinations. So, Kurt, I would ask you, how many times do people have to lie? Now, swing it to Trump, that's what you do, or swing it back to me, that's fine too, but I'm just simply going to ask, how many times do these idiots on the left have to lie before you say, wait a second, that's just a lie? It's not bad to say that's just a lie, but how many times are you going to do it? I don't know. Um... That's one. So now we talked earlier about Elijah Dickin, who literally in 15 seconds killed a gunman who was going on a mass murder rampage, being criticized by the lunatics on the left for what? Um, having a gun in a no gun zone. Not praised because he did. That's what we do. When you're so demented like this guy is, Kurt, and like the, that you can't just be people. I don't know what to tell you. It's sad, and that's kind of what we're fighting here, right? That's the reason OutKick gets criticized so much. I'm still looking for a conspiracy theory. I don't know. Everything that Clay has said about masks and COVID seems to be true. I mean, maybe he got one or two wrong. But this is the president of the United States. Now, I would love to hear somebody, and I'm sure they could, criticize Nick Bostic for running into the building. I'm sure there's criticism of him. Well, there has been because he's a 26-year-old pizza delivery guy. I look at him as a 26-year-old guy trying to make some money for his family and himself. But I'm the bad guy. Uh, Lastly, damn, someone's going to get lucky, baby. Yeah, they are. Someone's going to get lucky. Jimmy Garoppolo was just told by the San Francisco 49ers that he and his agents can look for a trade. I'm looking at my TV right now, and there are four people on it. And by the way, not enough diversity quite yet. You only have one African-American and one woman out of four. You got to go three or four if you're ESPN, let's be honest. But the truth of the matter is, you know what they're talking about? Dak Prescott. How? Here he is. Dak Prescott. Evaluation of Dak Prescott over six seasons. They're talking about Dak Prescott. Did Dak Prescott lead his team twice to the Super Bowl? Or excuse me, to the AFC Championship game? Did did Dak Prescott lead his team ever to the AFC Championship game, much less the Super Bowl? Of course he did. He's 53 and 32, one and three in the playoffs. Nobody wants to talk about this guy. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons. This guy was one catch, one catch by a safety named Dart under 10 minutes to go from leading San Francisco to not one but two Super Bowls. He led him to a 10-point lead. 
and they were going to have the ball under 10 minutes to go on the Rams' side of the field, and this kid Dart dropped, a pat, dropped an interception. Next thing you know, Stafford was able to work his magic. Somebody going to get lucky if they're smart enough and he's healthy enough to sign Jimmy Garoppolo. The Cowboys have been mired in mediocrity since giving all in. Now, RG3, I sat next to RG3, and he was a child. Like, literally a child. Chip and Joanna Gaines, a whole Baylor crew was in the suite next to mine at the national championship game. RG3's wife didn't want to be around him because he was wearing an RG3 basketball uniform. But he's on my TV talking about Dak Prescott. Nobody wants to talk about this guy. I don't know. Maybe like the UK athlete. Maybe he's white. We can't talk about white. I don't know. I have no Maybe he's too handsome. Maybe he dated a porn star. Maybe his acting isn't good. I don't have any idea. But some woman named Diana Taurasi and some guy right now and then two dudes in the middle, one that looks miserable, Mike Tannenbaum, and then, of course, Greeny saying nothing. They want to talk about Dak Prescott. Sign him. The team's going to get good. Sign him from what everybody tells me. Your locker room's going to get awesome. Jimmy Garoppolo really doesn't talk about himself. Dak Prescott couldn't wait. I'm actually in shape. Really? Oh, okay. You're actually in shape. Yay. Yay, Rob. Go fight win. All right. Uh, okay. All right. Well, aren't you supposed to be? What, have you not been in shape? Uh, have you not been in shape? I mean, it, it, you know, I, I don't know. But now you're in shape, and now we're all supposed to. 6% chance to win the Super Bowl. I can close my eyes. Let me say, is the criticism of Dak Prescott faces fair? I guarantee RG3, no, it's not fair. Okay. Your quarterback in Dallas. Let me ask you a better question. Is the criticism Mike McCarthy fair? Is the criticism of this guy, Jimmy Garoppolo, fair? You get this guy, you're getting ready to do yourself some winning, period, period. And not one of these idiots on your television, not one of these hires that they made because, well, you know, not one is going to tell you the truth. You get that guy, you're going to be all right, man. You're going to be okay. Uh, We got a heat wave, right? We got a heat wave going on across the country. It's hot outside. It's hot. Okay. See? See? Global warming. See? Told you. No, it's been hot before. It, in Indiana, anyway, I don't know about you, but in Indiana, about every other year, we get into the hundreds, and it's hot. It's freaking stone cold hot. Global warming. Okay. I don't think it's global warming. I just think it gets hot. I remember as a kid walking outside Gary, Indiana, where off the lake, it was really hot. It was humid. 
But I read today it's global warming and, quote, anybody that doesn't agree is an idiot. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. I'm not saying I agree. I'm not saying I disagree. I'm saying I don't know. But, hey, if we could get a 12-year-old, what, Gretchen Thornburg, to tell us, that'd be pretty cool. That's what we need. A 12-year-old in front of Congress to start crying. I know it's hot, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to embarrass the entire family. I'm going to take off my shirt this afternoon, and I'm going to sit my fat ass right out there. That's right, I am. And I don't know if it's global warming or not. Well, Doggage, you don't care about the environment. Uh, maybe, I don't know, I, I, I recycle. If we all cared so much about the environment, why am I only allowed to recycle in one can one day a week? No, I'm sorry. I'm lying to you. Why am I only allowed to recycle in one can and take it out every other week? If we all cared so much, if there wasn't big business for all these trucks and all these places, if it wasn't big business, why don't I have recycling with as many cans as I want, as many weeks as I want. I don't get it. Can somebody explain that to me? I'll be open for business the rest of the day. From noon to 3, uh, I'll be open. Uh, there, if you want to see how badly that my career has disintegrated, those of you that watch on OutKick, uh, I will be Saturday morning from 9 to 12, on Sirius XM Channel 84, and then on ESPN at 1, 3, 7, and 9, doing basketball games on Sunday. Then I'll tell you the Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday schedule as well. I don't have a show on Friday, but this show has gotten pretty good. So apparently, apparently, we're going to start doing a show on Friday. All right? Ashley Schaefer says... Praying to God Joe Biden has a swift recovery. We need him back on the front lines fighting inflation. All right. All right. I agree. Pete Buttigieg says, good morning. Gas prices are going down. Wait a second. Time out. Time out, Mayor Pete, Secretary Pete, whatever the hell you call yourself, Pete. So you're taking credit when they go down. I didn't hear from you when they went up, you dumbass. And I feel bad saying that because my niece actually worked for Pete Buttigieg's husband uh, during the campaign. My niece did. So now we take credit? All right. The world is nuts, man. And we got to stay out and we got to keep fighting. The world is insane. Like if we want a decent civil world, we got to get rid of all this stupid. We got to get rid of people literally looking at you, uh, looking at me and saying, Dan, your shirt's blue. I don't care, Dan, your shirt's blue. No, it's, it's clearly red. I mean, or pink or whatever the hell color it is. I don't know. I just got out of the box and I like it. Oh, it's clearly not blue. No, it's blue. It's blue. 
No, don't tell me, right. It's blue. Hey, uh, I put my hands behind my back, AOC said, because that's what you're supposed to do when you get arrested. We have a picture of AOC acting like she's arrested with her fist up in the air. I get that it's the sign of resistance. Who doesn't get that? I've been getting that since you little kids were ten year, or two years old. But if the argument is, hey, look, I did what I was supposed to do. I put my hands behind my back. Uh, okay. And if the argument is doing what you're supposed to do when arrested, does that include putting your fist up in resistance? I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing it does because, well, they're going to tell you it does. How about that? So Joe Biden, uh, Darnell Jones, the great says, what a bad week for Biden. COVID and cancer. Stay strong out there, people. You know I will. I did. I I thought that the president didn't control gas prices. I don't know what to believe anymore. Petey Buttigieg, a guy who was so disrespected in South Bend among minorities that he literally had to leave and take this job. The mayor of Indianapolis, allegedly, has been trying forever to get out of Indy because he's such a useless Democratic mayor. He saw what Buttigieg did and wants it so bad, but he can't. He's not. <laughs> what do I? He's incompetent and has certain problems, allegedly. Not the incompetent part. We've all seen the incompetent part. Anyway, have a great week. Send me anything you want. Remember, Saturday, 9 to noon. And Sunday, ESPN, back calling basketball games at 1, at 3, at 7, at 9. Have a great, great, great weekend, everybody. Ryan, Dylan, Davey, everybody involved. Gary, thank you all so much. Uh, Can't wait to get back here because I love being on this show. I love doing the show, and you all make it fun. Have a great week. To you guys on the YouTube chat, thank you. I think we've weeded out a lot of idiots and gained a lot of followers. That's a good combination. Have a great weekend, everybody. You can catch me, 107.5 The Fan, coming up at noon. I got to go. See you.